Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. Okay, so today on the show, we have Carrie Desberg, CMO at Impartner Software. Um, Carrie has been a career uh, comms person, a career comms executive, PR leader. And it's really fascinating, Carrie. I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this because most of the folks we have on the show, if I were to kind of weave a common thread, come from management consulting background, and then they transition over to tech, whereas you come from this comms leadership background. So, Let's start there. I mean, first off, welcome to the show. Second off, tell me about the transition from you know comms to overviewing this whole umbrella of marketing. Well, uh, uh, thank you for that intro. So glad to be here. And uh, oh boy, you know what? <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, how lucky am I that that's the way that I grew up in my career? Because at the end of the day, communications is really about storytelling. It's it's really about uh, what is important about us. Uh, who do I need to talk to? And what is the most compelling thing um, that I can say to make somebody do the most important job of marketing, which is to make somebody say, I want that. And so for years and years and years and years, uh, you know, I was on the front lines of uh, uh, all sorts of different companies, B2B, B2C, uh, really figuring out uh, what the story was of a company and how it was going to um, make it stick and capture people's attention, whether it was uh, something as fun as cosmetics uh, or as serious as, uh, you know, composite glass that uh, helps strengthen wind turbines. Uh, it really all starts with the story. <clears throat> and the other thing that's great about the role um, is it's so broad. Everybody's business is your business. I, 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 uh, you could say, oh my gosh, you know, do you have a focus? And I'm like, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I really like having my finger in everybody's pie. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. But, you know, one day a manufacturing problem is what you're focused on and how you're going to message around that. And the next day you're launching a product and the next day you're doing a ribbon cutting on a new facility. I mean, you, you're interacting with accounting and marketing and uh, uh, finance on acquisitions. There's really nothing that you don't touch. And so what a way to a wonderful way to to grow up. And now uh, for me, uh, be CMO in a tech company of a software that is a system of record that touches so many different organizations in the company. And, uh, you know, my job is to I don't just have one person to convince. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of stakeholders and a fairly complicated buy to get on board and a career that's been figuring out stories and figuring out how to climb in the heads of different kinds of professions has really been 
a wonderful, wonderful uh, way to grow up and a wonderful way to approach this job. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. So selling a system of record or marketing a system of record, I mean, that is like, if I think of all the challenges out there, that's, that's probably right at the top as far as trying to replace or oust whatever exists and get the buy. I mean, your buying committee, how many people are on your buying committee? You know, uh, it's, it's generally a handful, plus or minus, depending on the size of the company. Uh, and for us, uh, we make partner relationship management software. Uh, most people know a CRM. They know a Salesforce or a Microsoft Dynamics 365 or something like that. <clears throat> and that really manages that direct one-to-one relationship. Well, PRM manages your partner. So most companies don't sell to you and I. Uh, they sell through a network of partners, like Xerox is a customer. They have tens of thousands of partners across the world who sell Xerox products. And those partners need a lot of things. Uh, they need to be recruited and onboarded and they need deal registration and marketing collateral and training and all these things that they need to sell Xerox's stuff. And um, in that mix, you touch so many organizations. It starts with a channel leader, the person that runs those indirect sales. Uh, but generally they've got to get their IT team on board and their sales ops team on board and their marketing person and their salesperson. I mean, there's just a whole mix of people who cross that whole channel and you really need to uh, be able to figure out what, what your berries would be. And when you're talking about something that's a system or record, it means that it's really, really buried inside that network. And um, you better be scalable and you better be reliable and you better have security protocols and uh, you know things that really speak to the core of those folks. Um, and you know, you really need to, you know, be able to think about, oh wow, you know, they probably have got a lot of pet systems that belong to other systems. And they're like, oh, you know, I, I don't know these guys, or you know, I already have somebody that offers something kind of like that. Why can't we just use those? So you know, you've, you've got to um, help them understand that even if they have a vendor that has something different uh, or similar, why are we different and better? Um, you know, how can we really scale with them when we're a relatively small company? Uh, but uh, we managed to do that since we work with folks like uh, Honeywell and Xerox, as I mentioned. And then um, just as important right now is how do you get somebody to figure out how to prioritize your system over the 10,000 million other systems that are out there right now. Uh, there's a, a grid that comes out every year that has every marketing technology that's out there on the planet. And it's just, it's, it's almost a stunt grid at this point. You can't see anything. It's just a million logos. And, you know, marketers and people who are our buyer, buyers, they're, they're almost paralyzed by where do they start? And what do I do? Do I start here or do I start with some point solution and start over here? And so uh, part of the magic is really helping them understand, look, this is a system of record and you need to start here because it feeds all those other point solutions. And if you start over there, they're going to be suboptimized because there's nothing really feeding them. So that's, you know, that's a key part of the decision as well is where do you start and how do we really deliver a performance that outperforms all those other things that they could be doing and they make that their priority. So there are all kinds of interesting challenges uh, in uh, marketing and technology like this for sure. So it must be, I mean, you joined 
the company earlier in the year at a very interesting time to be joining a company, correct? Well, actually, um, I've been with the company uh, about five years, having followed the CEO and the CMO at, at the time. And um, I was promoted in uh, December uh, when uh, my former boss went off to do something really cool. And, uh, but regardless, yeah, what an interesting (laughs) role. Um, But you know what? Um, Just like my career, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, I I would almost say that uh, uh, on some fronts, um, uh, money doesn't make you smarter and uh, comm C's don't make good sailors. And uh, when you face a challenge like this pandemic, and figure out in this marketing hunger games-esque situation what you do. Um, I think that the team would tell you that they are stronger now uh, than they were at the beginning of this thing. Um, I'm sitting here in Seattle. Uh, the company's based in Salt Lake. I usually commute there. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. Not so terrible. Wow. And uh, haven't left since. I think I've been in this room that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and... You know, we really shifted and pivoted and um, figured out with AI and ABM and all the tools that we have in our very, very cool marketing tech stack, uh, where was the momentum and what companies were going to be doing, uh, going to have uh, be driven by the pandemic and uh, where was that momentum? And just as important, who is spending that momentum? A lot of a lot of companies in the midst of all this uh could see the need, but they said, nope, nope, I'm staying in my, you know, basic car. I'm not going to trade up now. I'm not going to make a buying decision. Um, so finding that momentum, finding people who are spending, um, that was very powerful for us. And uh, uh, the majority of our demand during the worst, most unknown periods of this, now we're in some kind of strange midterm period where it's, you know, not calm, but I think we, you know, you know, are kind of a complete nosedive, right? Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the majority of our revenue came from um, those campaigns where we shifted. And uh, the other thing that we did is uh, we looked at all these companies who are just terrified. Uh, they they can't, can't be on the ground. So when you make software like ours that enables your partners, when you can't be there physically, it's ever more important to have something that lets that last mile be able to perform on the ground, number one. Number two, not like a ton of companies are growing their teams. A lot of teams were cutting their teams. And all of a sudden, all these people who, uh, who are were putting off a digital transformation are saying, oh, my gosh, how can I possibly manage and scale and survive in this environment when I have less and less of a team without automation? So uh, I saw a quote, oh, I don't know, maybe two months ago at this point that uh, Microsoft said that digital transformations that were taking two years have accelerated and are taking two months. And we see that in spades. The people who show up on their doorstep are like, oh, my gosh, I was dragging my feet on digital transformation. I need to go, go, go. And um, so we put together this whole uh, channel economic stimulus package. Uh, and we bundled together uh, our products in a way that they could be up and running in just a few weeks and through the eye of the needle to not only survive, but also thrive and scale and prosper as ultimately come out of this. So that's been an absolutely powerful, powerful uh, campaign for us because it really 
uh, taps into the zeitgeist of what's happening here and are showing people a way forward and a path to follow that can help them get through this. And uh, they've really appreciated that and appreciated that business partnership. So let's get tactical. I mean, you said that one of the things that has been really integral to success through these times was to figure out where those folks are who are, who are still ready to buy and who are still engaged in this kind of dialogue. Um, what steps did you take when you, know, you realized this big shift needed to occur? Um, you realized buying behavior was changing. How did you, what steps did you take? And then how did you really hone in on this is the space that we should be focused on? These are the ways that we're going to acquire customers in today's environment. You know, um, it really was a shift in identifying uh, which markets looked like they were going to be the markets uh, that would be really driven <clears throat> by this. Uh, we have a big customer with a, a medical business, for example, who had uh, 2,500 new partners signed on in 20 days. It was just crazy, right? You see those kinds of um, examples. And so we could see what was happening with network security and uh, telecom and several other industries that were driven by huge changes in how all of us are working now that we're working from home, et cetera. <clears throat> but the good news is, is that uh, the key thing that helped us is our marketing tech stack. It's something that I think is a secret sauce. I think I'll say that more, more definitively. I think what a weeping word <laughs> is a secret sauce for this company. The way our technology knee bone is connected to our thigh bone uh, is connected to our hip bone is really magic. Um, we uh, invest in heavily uh, being able to have night vision goggles and we're not trying to hunt with a rock and a spear, right? We have, we're bristling with AI and ABM um, to be able to, to really look for that demand and see that demand and be able to respond to it. Uh, so, uh, you know, for folks out there who are just looking at these things, I mean, it definitely gives you a strategic competitive advantage because when you can see, um, you know, kind of, I don't know if you think of yourself, it's not a very high tech analogy, but if, if you're up in your fire tower looking out over the forest and you can see those whiffs of smoke before anybody else and say there's demand there and there and there and there. And I can see that because I know that this size company and this vertical doing these five things is going to be uh, somebody who's who I want to talk to. Um, and so because we already had that marketing tech stack in place uh, and we're really able to pivot and focus that on the demand um, that we could see happening that was more driven by, uh, uh, you know, the things that were happening around COVID. I mean, that definitely, definitely helped us survive. So, you know, for folks who are out there, whether you're in a pandemic or not, if you do not have a contemporary uh, marketing technology stack, you're going to be behind. People are going to catch that game and have dinner before you ever get there. All right, walk us through your tech stack. What does it look like? Let's go through the, the highlights. Um, you know, at a high level, um, uh, we use uh, Conversica. Uh, they are an AI bot, and it's really just amazing. I mean, it's just so human language, and it allows us to carry a lot of the heavy lifting of um, who it is out there uh, or who's responding to us and being able to respond to them in a thoughtful way. Uh, with throwing people at it is just is just uh, – too hard to get through uh, once you're in and when you're really at the high level of the funnel and you're just exploring. Um, we use Sixth Sense for our ABM tool. Um, they're amazing. Um, uh, 
that really lets us see all those behaviors and string things together and be able to see uh, search behaviors and find behaviors and you know build organizational charts. I mean, I mentioned earlier that you know there's a big buying committee uh, around technologies like ours, and when you can really see that whole uh, organization uh, and really be able to sell effectively to them and know who the stakeholders are there in the decision. I mean, that's just that's just invaluable and it just makes you so lean. Um, uh, we use uh, from a communication standpoint, uh, we in, in our marketing team, we have all the demand gen and usually events. Now there's more webinars and podcasts as we're doing now. Uh, but the uh, business development team, the, the front end of the sales process actually is in the marketing team, which I really love because that allows us to really make sure that all those, you know, if they're golden eggs, I was going to say golden eggs. Well, they're golden eggs, so you know they're not, right? Um, uh, you know, everything that comes through, uh, we call it a marketing qualified or a, a lead, you know, is that comes into those um, business development reps and they really qualify them before they hand them off to sales. Uh, there, there are steps within that business development team of when they're analyzing those accounts and kind of a little bit of a cascade of, you know, increasing intensity as we decide they're more and more serious. Uh, so we use a tool called Zant. Um, it replaces another solution that we had, but it, it really automates uh, a lot of the, uh, um, you know, pinballing of where those leads are, uh, how hot they are, how much, how fast we want to touch them and automate gives us, lets us give them a lot of automated uh, communication streams. Uh, so uh, we, by the time that they really get to that human who's then taking the conversation to the next level, um, it really helps us automate a lot of that work that we just, again, we couldn't do. We'd have to double our team to be able to do that work volumetrically. So automation is key, making sure everything is integrated, making sure that when that penny drops all the way down the funnel, you really, really, really see that funnel. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have any siloed solutions. And then uh, I would say that, uh, you know, as we work with our sales teams, um, we have a whole dashboard that allows us to see, you know, who's really active and who's gone silent and who's still deciding. And then we wrap all of our marketing plans around each one of those segments. So we continue to uh, amplify what the sales team is doing itself uh, and, and add another layer of contact, right? Because what's the math, you know, 12 touch points, nine 16. I mean, there are lots of studies out there about how many touches it takes yep. to, to drive an enterprise sale, right? So uh, we we really integrate with our sales team and really stay by their side from the top of the funnel all the way down to the bottom. Make sure that our tools are very, very integrated and we don't end up with silos uh, and really automate everything that we can so volumetrically we can handle what we need to make sure that we have a healthy pipeline. So within the funnel, you mentioned something really interesting a moment ago that I want to loop back onto, um, which is that the BDR function rolls to marketing and not yes. sales. Yes. Uh, and I, I know this is a hot point for oh, yeah. marketers and sales <laughs> oh, leaders. Yes. And I'm Glenn Ross. It's yep, everyone has an opinion on this. Um, so I would love to know, was that something that you fought for yourself or advocated for, or was it already set up that way? What was the decision-making process like? And why is it that you believe that BDRs should roll to marketing rather than sales? 
you know, <laughs> I worked with a colleague once uh, who there was a big organizational change. And I'm like, huh, what do you think of that? And he said, you know what? If you have an apple and you slice it this way or you slice it that way, it's still a sliced apple. And, you know, I, I almost kind of feel the same way about um, about where the BDR sit. It really comes down to the teams and how well you work together. I, I don't think there's definitively a right place or a wrong place for them to sit. And uh, actually, it's actually been in both places since I've been with Impartner um, um. as I came into the role. Uh, it had been in marketing uh, for a couple years. And um, then uh, uh, also, um, uh, I think the reason that it came over from sales was simply because there are so many subtleties in how a, a lead was nurtured. And, and that was about three years ago. I mean, in three years, right, it's, it's, almost a geologic era and how quickly things change, right? Um, but at that point, <clears throat> the thinking was, wow, marketing knows so much about these leads as it's being handed over to the BDRs, which at that point sat in sales. Do we really feel like that transfer of knowledge is really as strong as it could be? So it was moved over and then systems got better. Um, so, you know, would it be the end of the world if they shifted back to sales? No. Um, but do I like the fact that that storytelling is so tight, right? And all of the time, money and energy that you spend in getting those MQAs like into the hands of that front line of sales. Um, the fact that we are part of the same team, I have to believe that that makes us tighter, right? Totally. Um, I, uh, so I'd keep it this way. Um, I, I I wouldn't be, I don't think our company would think, oh, geez, let's change it because I think it's something that we think works really well. Uh, but I just love that unity of when one, you know, and this golden egg is handed to the next level, you really feel like it's tight and you you don't lose the story and you keep the connectivity that you developed with that that lead and turn into the next level for sales. I think it works really well. All right. So you, you have an amazing career. It's only continuing to gain steam and, and just be that much more successful. Uh, you're attached to an amazing organization. I'm curious what you do to unwind and, and kind of what are some of your the things that give you energy outside of work? Well, uh, I do live in Seattle, which is surrounded by water. So uh, we are voters. So on the weekends, we are out on the Puget Sound. It's just absolutely spectacular. It's just so beautiful. And uh, I'm a Midwestern, you know, corn-fed farm girl. So uh, when I am out on the water and looking at these mountains every single day, I just uh, can never take it for granted. It always feels exotic to me. So that's that's my number one favorite thing to do. It was sail-powered or or with an engine. It's a trawler, and nice. it's wood, which is not my finest hour in decision making. Uh, so there's a lot of epoxy that happens between trips, but it's all good. It's all good. Wow. So do you fish when you're out on the sound or just, nope. just happens to be a trawler? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Sure. That's fun. I miss, I miss the ocean. I miss sailing. Um, so very lucky to be out there. That's, yes. that's really cool. For sure. Well, Carrie, I really appreciate the conversation. It was so fun to learn more about some of the marketing programs and, and challenges that you're overcoming in the market with, with the way that you're, growing the company. So thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great profession to be in and uh, all the technology right now in marketing makes it just 
as exciting now as it was when I started my career. And uh, I'm having a great time. Thanks for having me on. All right. 